0: Because there's just nothing better than this. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo,
1: Bob. Oh, yeah.
0: Direct from rivals in Yahoo Sports, this this is the Trojansports.com podcast. For a USA touchdown. With Trojan Sports publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Move on. You love
1: 33. You better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. the. the oh, okay
0: beat reporter adam j maya here we go yeah. we start yeah. as- it's the weekly radio show you need for everything usc Is you that your first joke the kids are back that's really a good one follow trojansports.com on twitter at usc
1: underscore rivals the trojansports.com podcast kicks off now Welcome back to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm the publisher of Trojansports.com and your host of this podcast, Chris Swanson. I'm joined by Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you today?
0: I, well, today I was good and then tonight happened and you feel a back from a 34 point deficit in a quarter and a half. And then my son like pooped all over the bathtub, which I think is like the same thing. So, it's been an interesting evening, and now I'm
1: talking to you. So, it turned into a bad night, basically, (laughs) is what you're trying to say. Is that what you got from that? I don't know. We're talking to me places amongst Suns poop and UCLA winning, but it can't be much higher than those. One in the same, my brother. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I feel very happy that I'm in the same category as the UCLA win and, and... fecal matter so yay awesome well we have a great show for you guys today because usc won their season opening game in an exciting fashion uh, against western michigan i've tried to make lemon eight out of lemons i guess right now i don't know what to say adam but before we really get started i want to give a special shout out to long snapper jake Olson. an absolutely incredible story adam maya was on the sideline and watched everything unfold as it happened adam tell us about what happened with jake olson and why it's so incredible
0: i will kill you chris (laughs) i couldn't believe it i didn't know what was happening we were not privy to that in the media i know that espn apparently knew but a lot of us did not know what was happening and so i just made my way down there like i normally do late in the fourth quarter And Marvell Tell picks off the pass, runs it back. And I was kind of joking with one of the sports information directors about how this kind of changes the perception of the win and the way that it looks. Especially for a lot of the voters, they look at that final score. And USC will probably just kind of get away with this nationally in terms of perception. Anyway... So we're, we're talking about that, we're kind of joking around, and then there's a little bit of a delay, and when when it took a little longer than normal, that's when I thought, wait, is something happening? And I remembered that Jake has been practicing hard. I mean, he's really been going at it for the entire time he's been there, but we've seen a lot more of him in the last couple of weeks on a regular basis. Then I realized, oh, is, is this happening now? Because we heard for two years now that he would appear in a game. But kind of forgot about it after a while because he's not new anymore. He's a redshirt sophomore. I'm looking. I'm seeing what's happening. And uh, and, and then I, I, it's clear that he is coming out. It is happening. And so I just kind of went into reporter mode. And I wanted to film it. I thought it would be a cool thing to capture. Unfortunately, at least for me, when I do that, you kind of get catch emotionally. But I really wanted to just get that moment and put it up there for everyone else. Uh, even though I think it was just an okay video, um, it did make a ground on Twitter, which is cool. I'm glad people saw it. I know I, I got to put it up there right away. So I'm filming it, and I'm just kind of locked in on getting the shot. And then... I swear to you, it, it happened, and I'm I'm happy for him because it was a perfect snap. And again, he practices this. They're not all perfect in practice. This is a real game. Anything can happen. So that to me was just remarkable. I, we knew that it was, it was a moment was going to come at some point, but just really happy for him that it played out that way. And. You you just, you want that, you know It's more than the cherry on top To deliver the perfect snap So he does it And I kid you not, I look over At the uh, The SID who I will not name And he's crying And and, and it hit me Again, I'm kind of locked in on Filming this But he's crying, he's watching this And it just had me Thinking about all that work and all that time that he put in and all the hours that he, he given into the program, he's at practice every day and, and all the relationships that he's built and the experience he's had. And I'm sure for that SID, he probably has a, a much different relationship with Jake. So it's personal for him. It's personal for a lot of people in the program. They've known him for a while, right? They've known him since he was 12 It was a culmination of a lot of amazing things that have been going on in the program, you know, with Jake, with many others. I think a lot of people are involved are, are worth celebrating, and including Western Michigan to coastline. So I feel fortunate to have been there live and to watch it up close. It was cool. I loved it. Highlight of my day, for sure.
1: Same here. It's a very touching moment. Uh, one, of the, one of the most touching moments I can remember in the history of USC football happening on the field. Uh, anyway, I think, you know, kind of reminded me a little bit of the Mario D'Anello uh, tribute uh, back about 10 years ago, I think. But what a great story. A great kid, too. Uh, if you saw the, the interview with him on Trojansports.com, you know, you can tell that, you know, despite everything that's happened to him, he's still very humble, still very happy, and, and thankful for everything in his life. And, you know sometimes it's easy to for you know to forget that and to you know it's easy to not be like that so truly an inspiration and now that we're past all that i think we should talk some football yeah you were there you saw the whole thing from start to finish what did you like about this uh this game that usc played this past weekend
0: well yeah probably best to talk about what we liked first because i know that we have a lot more to say about What we didn't. I liked Rojo. I wondered how he would run with the added weight. I knew that he would be good. We know Rojo is good. But. He still had a nice explosiveness to his game. That I couldn't tell from practice. Not that it was missing. Just. You don't know. I mean. Practice is just not. A good sample for what's going to happen in the game. And. I thought he ran so strong and so hard. And I've wondered who's going to get the hard yards in this team when it's third and three or when, when they're at the goal line. Who would do it? And I think he can do that. He didn't really have to in this game per se, but he will at some point, And it looks like he's up to the task. I like Stephen Carr almost just as much. I've been looking it up and... This is official, but I haven't been able to track down another true freshman running back that had run for two touchdowns in a season opener going back to the 80s. It's something I'm going to have to talk to you with USC Sports Info this week. I know since at least 92, it hasn't happened, but it, it looks like it's been much longer than that, and it's the beginning it's just the beginning with him. We wondered when he would get the work and when he would become the number two back. It, whatever. It, it happened basically in the what the second quarter. And now he's not going to look back. He's going to number two back. And you got to give him the ball. You have to figure it out now between him and Rojo. They both had a really beautiful yards per carry. You know, well over eight for both of them. They have to juggle this now. Now it's, it's kind of like a good problem to have. It's one of those things. Some might even be wondering if they should be a run-first team. I think that's dramatic, though, when you have Sam Darnold under center. But I do like what they can do in the backfield. I really like the O-line. I thought they gave Darnold more than enough time, most of the time. There were the two sacks, and both of those, I think it was a blown assignment. It, basically, the guy went untouched. Which, you know, they have to iron that out, of course. But um, aside from that, they really kept him clean. And obviously they did a good job for their running backs. So that, that's something that we were concerned about coming in. And it's not that it's totally answered or anything by one game, Western Michigan. However, that was a, a positive from this game. I think one of the bigger ones, I thought they were, you know, arguably the strongest unit behind the running backs in this game.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: At, yeah. After that, I'm, I, I'm running off my checklist here. Uh, I don't know that there's much more that I like beyond that from a unit standpoint. Of course, the fact that they play really well in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter, I mean, that's important. That that means something. We saw them finish pretty well in games last year, and... They carried that over to the opener. They could have lost this game. And that's why we're, we're prefacing our, our entire podcast with this segment Because they should have never been in that position. And yet they were tied in the fourth quarter. And clinging to a small lead in the fourth quarter. Before it got out of hand at the very end. I don't think, I don't think that's real defensible. I know it's a season opener, and they can get kind of wacky and clunky and Western Michigan is not a pushover they, they probably belong somewhere in maybe even the top forty in the country, but if u s c is a top four team, if they're a future playoff team, they't look like it not not on Saturday
1: no, definitely not um. I think I even liked less than you liked, honestly, watching this game. I thought the backfield was really good. Uh, I thought Rojo looked good. I thought Stephen Carr looked good. I'm still not completely sold on the offensive line. I know you're not either, but you liked how they played. Uh, I thought they did show some weakness and a lack of physicality at times, but they, they were by far the second best uh, unit out there. I think you can give some credit to the secondary as well. I don't think they played great. They had a few penalties, but they also made some plays and you know the numbers looked pretty good for them at the end of the day. I feel like I'm stretching at this point because it really did kind of feel like we were back in the 1990s in a way. Uh, I know Western Michigan's good, and they you know played in the Con Bowl and won a bunch of games last year and all that. They're good for a you know non Power Five school.
0: Well, I don't mean to interrupt, but what do you mean by that? I didn't I didn't even know what you meant about the nineteen nineties.
1: That USC's in a battle with a you know a non Power Five school. It looks like they could lose to some team that has no business being with it. You know, I mean, it just kind of felt like that era again it just felt like something that would happen out of there like this game with san jose state is too close or you know memphis state uh beat usc or something It just felt mm, okay. like that gotcha. kind of yeah so um there's i just don't think there's a lot to like i think that the running backs look great how could they not against western michigan i mean really if they get into open field they you know they're just it's such a mismatch talent wise Um, the offensive line it kind of feels like the same thing but that's really about the end of it for me uh, with USC I mean those were the two units that really stood out and you know the running backs I'm not sure how they couldn't in this game and the offensive line should have in this game so I'm not sure there's a lot to like when you almost lose to Western Michigan I guess is my point
0: John Cabernet we should probably mention him yes he looked really good yeah he played the way that I expect him to play. He's a good player. And they're fortunate to have him. I can't really imagine where that receiving corpse would be right now without him. I I think this is probably their weakest receiving corpse since 2007.
1: Is that potentially an insult to the 2007 receiving corpse?
0: I... I mean, that was the weakest one for, you know, over the last 15 years. And this one is right up there with him.
1: It's so bad that I feel like David Sills, who scored a couple touchdowns tonight, by the way, uh, might be USC's best receiver if he played at USC instead of West Virginia.
0: Oh, you mean a converted quarterback?
1: The converted quarterback. Well,
0: we know he'd be starting.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he has that skill set that they look for, you know, understanding routes or whatever. But uh, it's not good. I mean, it's, it's just—I don't know what to say. They have a lot of receivers, but they don't have a lot of good receivers. I don't. You know, it's—it—it it just looks like a problem. It looks like so, a big problem.
0: Yeah. Offensively, this would be my number one concern, and it's something that we've been harping on for a while. And I know that a lot of people think that maybe we've made too much of it and maybe now they're coming around. But I think this is going to have a domino effect on offense because if defenses can lay off your receivers and they don't feel any kind of vertical threat and you're not able to stretch the field and they're basically able to man you up, what are you going to do? You're going to load the box and you're going to take away the run. And then you really need to have an excellent offensive line to be able to run through a loaded box. So, I don't think we know yet about this offense and what it's going to be good at and what it will be able to do. And I don't know how you fix this. Because right now their personnel at the receiver position is loaded with possession guys. I think there there are some athletes there that can open things up for them, but they have to execute. Uh, I've been seeing the praises of Tyler Vaughn the last couple of weeks, and he he didn't get to play maybe as much as he could have, but he he didn't really show up and. You know, Joseph Lewis didn't play a lot. Bayless Jones didn't do much. He didn't play a lot either. We saw a lot of Jalen Green. And I'm just surprised that people were co-signing that because Jalen Green has been a receiver now for a little bit. And I think last year he had eight catches. If he was better, he would have produced last year. It wasn't like things were totally solidified, and there was no room for anyone else to contribute. And Stephen Mitchell, he he basically played the way that he's played for some time. You know, he chipped in here and there. He had four catches. He was number two behind Giancarnet. Four for thirty-nine. I mean, if that's if that's what you're gonna get out of Mitchell, you'll take it. But that can't be your number two receiver. So yeah. I, I found it very odd the way that they grouped them. They played a lot of Mitchell and Green together, and I think you probably need to separate them. I think that you're going to need to have more diversity and get people with different you know skills and different talents on the field at the same time, mix it up a little bit more. They did rotate but it looked
1: really easy to defend for Western Michigan. Yeah, I it, it was. I mean, the receivers did not get separation. And when that happens, like you said, it becomes easy. And it becomes easy for teams maybe with more physical defensive front to take away the run game. What concerns me about the receivers, too, is that I feel like USC is set up to be a spread team. We can talk about, you know, how they're pro style and you know a hybrid pro style whatever else but I look at you know what they're set up to be what what it seems like they would do best if I'm looking at their personnel or what or what they should be doing best and it, it seems like it's a spread offense to me you look at their offensive line remember they got a little bit smaller and faster this year that's what everybody talks about right there are smaller quicker yeah, they are well that benefits a spread system. They're not an overwhelming downhill power run team, but they should be because they don't have the receivers to really spread you out and cut you up like that. You know what I mean? Put pressure on your defensive backfield and then have you know, a run break because of that. They don't have that. So to me, the concern with the receivers are, well, you're set up to be that spread team, except you don't have anybody that's standing out. Now can you really be a power run team? And I think the answer is no, because of the way they recruited. They recruited all these receivers to play them, to go with multiple wide receiver sets, you know? And it seems to me like they can't do it with these guys. Like, they should be running a different offense, but they don't have the personnel to really, you know, emphasize Rojo or Stephen Carr or whoever else as much as they should, because they have 15 wide receivers on the roster that would be okay if one or two of them was really good. That's not what's yeah. happening right now.
0: Another glaring issue for me in the passing game was, and again, Donald had time, and he was scanning the field. He was looking downfield, and he gave them chances. He went downfield you know, quite a few times, probably wanted to go more. But when he did, these guys couldn't finish plays. And that's what we've seen in practice – And that's really what I expected. I really thought that this would be a problem. Now, neither Juju nor Garius were burners. But they're bigger guys. They're strong. And they're smart. And at the end of the game, they just finished plays. You know, sometimes for a receiver, you're not going to get really open. Uh, You just kind of have to execute your route. and, And Darnold has usually pretty good ball placement and maybe he'll throw you open to some extent but you're gonna have to catch a ball that's you know 50 50 or maybe you have a slight advantage more often than not you'll have a play to make if he's not throwing into like triple coverage or anything and you're fighting off two or three guys it's more one-on-one with him he did that we saw that and they couldn't finish they and, couldn't
1: catch the ball.
0: Yeah, what? there were four drops as well. Okay, drops, they're going to happen, and I, I don't i don't think that they'll be consistent. I don't expect that to to be there each week. But the other thing, just finishing plays, go 50-50 balls, I'm not sure how they're going to learn that. I'm not sure how they're going to improve in that. Because if we're talking about their starters – Jalen Green is what he is at this point He's in his fourth year I know he hasn't been playing receiver the whole time But he's not new Th- This is what he is And then Steven Mitchell's five 5'9 So <laughs> I want to see more of Who I know how to drop I want to see more of Lewis Valus right now I don't know because while he does bring something different to the table, I felt like he's, he's really been up and down for some time. So I understand if there's a little bit of hesitancy to use him at times. You know, it, I think it's, it's merited. Uh, maybe Josh Imarabebe, he, he finished training camp pretty strong. He, I thought, was cold for a while, but he's a big body. Uh, maybe this is where he shines. Maybe this is what he does for them. I don't know. I mean, they they really missed his brother. You know, that, that's another takeaway I have. Daniel Monterveve had just one catch. He was limited. We knew he wouldn't be 100%. I really thought he wouldn't even play. Clay said he really wanted to play, so they played him. I guess that's fine, but. He, he wasn't able to give much and we know he's capable of giving a lot so I thought maybe you rest him and you get him full for Stanford whatever if he didn't aggravate anything it, it's a moot point but they really need him I think he's a, a real downfield threat for them beyond that I don't know I'm, I'm not sure what they're going to do they have who they have. Um, it's game one for a lot of them. A lot, you know These are true freshmen. Michael Pittman will come back at some point, although I'm not sure that it's soon. We haven't really gotten an update on him. He hasn't practiced yet, so right now I'm assuming that he's out for at least another week. But Pittman was having a hard time in, in practice as well. He had fallen in a depth chart. I just think that, they haven't recruited the position very well.
1: No, I agree. I agree because I I look uh, at what they have and they have a bunch of taller receivers that they're not really playing and they have a bunch of smaller receivers that I'm not really sure are that explosive or, or give you, you know, that much speed or whatever, that much big playability. There's just a lot of average, I feel like, with the receiving core right now. There's just a lot of average all across the board.
0: You were covering a game on Saturday. That's why you weren't there. You were covering the high school game. You covered a couple, actually. But Mm -hmm. I know that you did watch the game afterward. Just from the the tape, how did you feel about Darnold? Did you feel like he was off at all?
1: No. I actually don't. I I felt like he played a really good game and he doesn't have – talent out there to make plays for him. I saw too many plays where I felt like, you know, he squeezed the ball into a really tight window and hit a guy on the hands, and it would have been a first down or a drive continuing play, and his receiver didn't come up with it for him. I saw him throw a lot of balls downfield where he was under pressure. He avoided it, and he did what he does, and he put it in a spot where his receivers should make a play, and the receiver wasn't there because they're not the same kind of receivers that he had before. They couldn't get under the ball and make a play for him. So to me, it it just became very apparent. I think I saw him you know, miss one or two throws where he threw it behind a guy or something like that. I'm not saying he was perfect. But he seemed very much like Sam Darnold of last year to me, and I felt like those around him weren't helping him really yeah. make plays. That's how. That's really what stood out to me. He seemed exactly the same, and it's weird because everybody's you know on top of him for his numbers, but uh, I look at what's changed around him, and I think it's made a much bigger impact than anybody expected.
0: Yeah, I had the same impression. I really did feel like. That was basically the the same guy I watched a year ago. Um, It wasn't his best game. He's had better games, certainly. And statistically, argue it was his worst because he didn't throw a touchdown. He had the two picks. But he still completed 23 of 33. 70% threw for nearly 300 yards.
1: With four drops.
0: Yeah, four drops. He didn't lock in on Deontay. Deontay's first catch didn't come for a while. And he eventually had to go back there and, and keep going to that well. Deont- I mean, Deontay catches everything. But people are going to catch on to that. They're not going to allow Deontay to roam free. And I think it's going to be hard. I think they're going to have a tough time throwing the ball. They they won't be completely shut down because Darnold's too good. And there is talent on this receiving corpse. I'm not trying to overreact here. I wonder if the best players are playing yet, or if they're ready to to play at a high level. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I just know that it didn't look good. There, there wasn't much rhythm to it. It always felt like they should probably just run more. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And, You could argue that they should have just ran more because they were doing so well. But I'll defend that. Because you need to work this out. And we saw this coming. So they needed to work it out. So it's good that they threw about 50% of the time. I understand they could have ran more. Maybe if there was a, a more imminent threat. I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive there. But... It never felt like USC was going to lose this game, even though they were losing for some time and they were tied for a while too. It still felt like they had a sense of control and they they could still work on things and it worked out for them. But,
1: yeah, that's good that yeah. it worked out. But it,
0: it w- right, but, but do you think they should have ran more just, what, from your vantage point? Did you feel I like-
1: would Well, I think they should just run more in general. I can't say for this game because you're right. If they have an offense that they run. You need to work things out. They need the passing game to work because they do a lot of multi-receiver sets and they throw the ball a lot. Uh, so it seems like they would need that to work. But I just don't understand why when you're USC – and you get the best running backs maybe in the country definitely in the conference and you get the best you know lineman or you know the second best lineman or the third best lineman in the conference you're up there why aren't you a power run team why are you this cute spread stupid offense why aren't you stanford why aren't you alabama it's what usc used to be and they won a bunch of national titles with it it's silly Think about how much better their offense could be if they had focused on recruiting and building an offensive line instead of uh, focusing on recruiting 15 wide receivers. They have Rojo and Steven Carr. Give those guys the ball. Put a fullback in front of them. Go double tight and have a good offensive line. Kill clock, play good defense. It's stupid that they don't do that. I'm sorry. It's a dumb philosophy that they go really like spread out wide and try to be a poor man's organ. That's actually what I thought when I watched that game too, is they could run all over Western Michigan, and they probably should be more built to run than they are, but they're trying to be organ, and they're not very good at it.
0: Yeah. And, and while I'm not even debating any of that, because we know that that's not going to happen, they're not going to fundamentally change their whole offense. What do you think they can give? Or what do you think they should give um within reason with with the personnel that they have?
1: I would go to big wide receivers because I I don't I I would change the offense. I would try to go more run heavy, maybe you know, do more play action downfield type stuff, but I don't see these receivers, these smaller outside receivers Helping them because I'm not even sure they're fast. So I don't get, you know, I I know they're fast, but they, I don't think they're like elite speed guys. So I don't get why you're leaning on a five nine outside receiver. You know, I I don't understand why you're trying to go four wide. Put, you know, lean on the taller guys. Use less receivers. That's what I would do. I would try to run more. I'd try to set out, you know, passes. And stuff instead of just. I thought we were going to
0: see more Carry Angeline. I I think that was a game to to get him going. Didn't happen. Petit still having issues finishing plays. We knew that he would start, but I I mean, I don't know. Some people, I, I think Clay mentioned he thought he played really well, had one of the best games of his career. I. I didn't see that. Maybe I missed it.
1: It might have been, but he's never had a game where it's been like, whoa, you know, like this guy. You know what I mean? Like maybe it was. I didn't notice it either, but he's not like their answer at tight end. Well,
0: So they're playing all of them. They they already played Hulk and Follow, which, again, I – I'm just on a totally different page with how many tight ends that you need and how many you need mm-hmm. to use during the season when they're healthy. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't matter anymore. They, now they're all playing. So that's fine. Uh, then I think that they're going to have to be utilized heavily. You know, with the, with the true freshman that's going to be hard because they, there's a lot for them to pick up. It's a tough position to play, especially early on in your career. But I, I do think the tight are going to be a huge
1: factor in this passing game. I think, I think they have to be. Yeah. 11? Well, they have to be. I mean, somebody has to be a huge factor in this passing game. So, I'm, yeah. I'm totally with you. I, I think that that's smart that, you know, you try to find something else. You try to force it to other guys and, and find a position that works for you because – with what they put out there at receiver in this first game, I know it's game one, but it's obvious that right now they don't have the receivers they need. It's just obvious.
0: Yeah. So, I, again, like we really we trust this because I think it's going to impact everything else on the offense. I think it can be a real issue. Which, oh, Yeah. It's strange to think of because they have this incredible quarterback who still played well. You wouldn't think that this would be such a problem at USC. I'm used to nothing but NFL wideouts coming out of this program. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm totally with you.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm also used to
1: good defense, though. Yeah,
0: let's move on to the defense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think this was the biggest concern, honestly, um, because we I think we kind of expected that the receivers could struggle and we expected that we could see that game from them. Uh, The defense, I I think everybody thought was going to be a real strong point for USC this year. And maybe it still can be. But gosh, they had a lot of trouble with Western Michigan uh, containing that offense and shutting them down. And with the run game, with tackling, uh, I had tons of concerns. I, I, wa- I watched an undisciplined front seven get torn up by an option run offense that I feel like they're going to see stuff like that in conference. Uh, and, and who knows if they're going to perform well against Pac-12 teams that do that. Uh, I thought they kind of got pushed around, too. I didn't just think it was that, you know, Western Michigan tricked them or, you know, exposed them for being undisciplined with with pitches and stuff. I thought that at times Western Michigan's offensive line beat up USC's defensive front. I just feel like they're kind of soft up front on defense. Uh, I thought the linebacking core, you know, we've been singing their praises a lot. Uh, I thought that without Cam Smith, it was clear that they were in big trouble. And uh, I thought that, you know, even when he came back, I thought a guy like Porter Gustin made some bad plays. And, you know, kind of uh, for all the praise and exposure he's been getting, showed that he's not quite there uh, in terms of, I I would say, football IQ even. Uh, that, That double pass where he tried to pick that ball off and just totally whiffed on it. We're talking about a trick play where he was the last line of defense and he went for an undisciplined pick instead of just stopping a touchdown. This is an older player. You know, that's a huge concern to me. I it just seems like there's just all over this front seven big concerns not only, you know, is the does the nose guard position seem like an issue it seems like if cam smith goes down their inside linebacking core might be a mess after him and uh i felt like you know one of their bigger name linebackers was kind of exposed for being undisciplined as well uh against a team that really shouldn't be able to do that to them i thought the defensive backfield played pretty well i guess okay i know they had some penalties but i think that might have been the bright spot you know for this defense and did we really expect western michigan to be able to challenge the defensive backfield with their you know receivers or their quarterback no so you know the jury's still out on them because they had a couple of penalties and a couple of instances where they didn't look too great yeah so I, i i think the defense there's just so many concerns right now it's really kind of shocking
0: yeah, this wasn't their game, the secondary. Let's, I don't even want to talk too much about them because there will be games that will be about them. This was all about the front seven, and USC knew this. Now, they were having a hard time figuring out how Western Michigan would attack because their head coach knew and had a different system at one school and their offensive coordinators knew and had his own system at another school. And then, of course, you're looking at Western Michigan from last year. But once they saw who they were and what they were trying to do, I understand why it took so long to stop it. Especially when they're so one-dimensional. Western Michigan only completed 11 passes from their quarterback for 67 yards. I mean, that, that's nothing. They had no interest in throwing the ball. You knew that they wanted to run the ball. They ran the ball... Nearly 50 times. It reminded me a lot of the Boston College game. It just didn't... It happened to not get away from them like that one did. But it reminded me of that in a sense that... This team was kind of the one-trick pony in a sense. And you couldn't handle that trick. I mean, like the entire game really. Right now there's this narrative that... Cam Smith came in... And it was night and day. Now... He definitely made a difference, and they played better, but they didn't take over. Western Michigan still ran for 5 yards to carry and over 100 yards in the second half. They ran for 65 yards in the fourth quarter, and if they weren't playing from behind, then they probably could just run that clock out. This game could have gotten really scary. It was close. It was a real game, and just the way that they were able to run the ball on this USC front six, really, it, it was six more than it was seven, which is still, I think, still an issue. Uh, you know, whether they're they have a three down front or you know Q four, it's still, I, I don't know. Be good at one of them in this game. I I, I get it, like, for the Pac-12. It, it makes perfect sense, but Western Michigan is not that. And, of course, their next opponent is not that at all. So, I was quite surprised at how hard of a time they had defending the run. I felt like their defensive line was almost non-existent. It seemed like everything got to the second level and even into the defensive backfield. I mean, you saw Marville Tell with a bunch of tackles. The, the entire secondary, I mean, they, they were huge. So my question, I want to know what you think about this. I, I talked to a Jenny Harris after the game, and he basically laid out the fact that Western Michigan was opting in 11 personnel, meaning one running back, one tight end, and then three wide. And when they do that, by default, USC is in nickel. I'm wondering, couldn't they trade out, I guess, a Jenna for another defensive Good. lineman, or even a linebacker, who would have like a dual responsibility to cover a slot, but to have another guy in the box. Because, yeah, they're three wide, but their quarterback is bad, and they don't have much interest in throwing the ball. So does it matter? I mean, you're, you have to have someone cover, but couldn't they just play man?
1: I think you're right. Uh, I, I totally think you're right. I mean, I remember... I watched a lot of Pete Carroll defenses against spread where they had, you know, guys in the slot that seemed like they were completely uncovered because, you know, it just USC's defense was gonna do what it was gonna do and they weren't worried about that guy until he beat them. And I think you're right, you know, when you look at those passing numbers that western Michigan put up that were abysmal and how quickly they fell apart, uh when they had to pass and score quickly. Yeah. You know, I think you take away the run. You do anything you can to take away the run. My thing, though, is that if they have three wide receivers out there, I know they're running the ball. USC, USC should be able to take away the run with with a nickel defense. They should be able to cover all the receivers and win one-on-one matchups and shut down their run game. So while I'm totally with you and it's what I would have done, I think that either way it would have shown a huge concern because now I'm thinking if USC, you know, has eight in the box against Stanford, are they going to be able to shut down that run game? Because man on man against Western Michigan, they kind of got their butts kicked against that run game.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's
1: a big concern.
0: Two issues that were brought up or raised by Chris cocking. In my post-game interview with him. One, he made mention of the fact that in the first half, without Cam out there, there was some miscommunication coming from the linebackers. There was some confusion. And you essentially had two rookies out there with Jordan Alstafa and John Houston, Two people who I expected would... Go through, have their growing pains, but at the same time, I thought they would play well. Um, It's hard to say that that happened. Although, I think Ioskefa needs to play. And I've kind of been waiting for him to slide over to the weak side and play with Cam. I think we need to see more of that. Maybe nothing's permanent. I mean, he can play both spots. Houston can even play both spots. But they really have had Jordan backing up Cam. I think Jordan and Cam are the top two inside guys. So they should both be playing. But, uh, so the miscommunication was one thing. The other thing that he pointed out was... uh, They were rusty tackling. And now this has been taken out of context, I think, to some extent. I've just seen it repeated elsewhere. The question I'd asked him was, because they hadn't played a game in whatever it is, nine months or eight months uh, from the Rose Bowl to this past weekend, was the tackling poor. I mean, they missed a lot of them. What, can some of that be attributed to the fact that they just hadn't played in a while? Because I, I've just seen that forever, you know, in openers. Not, not every time, but it happens. Even with good teams, sometimes early in the year, they, they're just... Off, And he immediately said, you know, we didn't do a lot of live tackling in practice. So, yeah, you know, we, we weren't sharp. We'll, we'll be sharper. So my question to you, <laughs> I'm going to put this on you. Do you think that that is an issue from the top down, meaning the way that they're coached? The way that they train or is it is the onus on the players to execute better in that in that regard
1: no it's on the coaches it's on the coaches because your team should never feel like they missed a lot of tackles because they didn't tackle a lot in practice you should just tackle a lot of practice, and if you miss a bunch of tackles, that should never be the issue. It should never be a question of how much you practiced it. Football is about tackling. This has bugged me for a long time. I feel like for a long time, maybe even since Pete Carroll left, and I know that sanctions played into this, but that USC doesn't prepare to play football with practice. They they simulate in other ways and they do other things hit somebody that's my thing i think that the proof is in the pudding usc has struggled out of the gate very frequently in recent years yeah and it seems like hey if you turn it on late maybe that's because everybody improved right well maybe they improved because they got used to tackling and maybe tackling should have been the emphasis earlier, and maybe that way you would be blowing out Western Michigan. Last year, you wouldn't be getting smacked around by Alabama and Stanford and improving later in the year. It just seems like a too, too regular of a thing where these other teams that aren't as talented as USC early in the year. And I know this happened under Carroll at times as well. I understand that. But it just seems like it's too often that these other teams that are not as talented come in and just seem more prepared. Western Michigan seemed more prepared to win that game than USC did. They just weren't as good as USC.
0: Yeah.
1: it's too, yep. It happens too much, and I think that you have to look at the coaching staff and you have to look at how they're preparing.
0: You raise a good point. They've come out the gate slow. I would, I would argue every year, going back to 2012, the year that a lot of people take – so much issue with. They actually, I mean, we forget now, but they were 6 1 with the one loss being to a good Stanford team. Not one of their best teams, but they were still good. Um, that year, they get lose Stanford. They were ranked, you know, number two, number one coming into the year, but number two in that game. But You would probably say that they didn't come out slow in that season. No. Like I said, they were 6-1. They played pretty good football. But 2013, 14, 15, 16, and now with this opener, you're right. You you haven't liked the way that they've come out the gate. So, there's something in their process, perhaps. See, I was actually leaning in the other direction because I'm thinking of the best players that I watched at USC from the last three years. I'm thinking people like Leonard Williams, Sue Cravens, Adoree Jackson, best players on defense. Each of whom was a great tackler. It didn't matter, apparently, for them but maybe because they're at another level, you know? Because I mean, even Nadori was a very, very good cackler for a defensive back. Screw a leg of Before that, I think Leonard finished number two, like, back-to-back here, which is absurd for a defensive lineman. He was a monster. But maybe they were outliers. And maybe this is systemic. I hadn't thought that, but when you make a point about each year starting out slow, then it it seems to maybe hold water. I don't know. Uh, So I guess it's something that (laughs) you could take hope in the fact that they have more games and they will improve as the year goes on, although they don't have a lot of time. Not with the schedule.
1: Nope.
0: (laughs) Nope. they got Stanford, which I believe is going to be, or not not necessarily, I mean on paper, is their toughest game of the season. I, I can't tell you, I can't, I don't know yet what will be their toughest game. But on paper, that's the one. That's the one that we picked some months back, we were asked about that. And that's been my pick from day one. On the schedule, Stanford's the toughest game. And they got him in less than a week. And... Although I've argued that the schedule is more forgiving than it has been in recent years, it's not easy. It's still a USC schedule that includes a Notre Dame and a Texas on top of nine conference games in the Pac-12, which I respect most weekends. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, they, they got to play Washington State at the end of the month. That game can get weird. That, that game, that, that's a game where you better tackle well because they're going to move forward. So, I mean, it might be a lot of short plays and jinking and dunking, but Luke Falk is for real, and that's, that's not a game in which you can, you can be undisciplined. But I, I really thought they were really undisciplined which is weird to me because that's not a term that I would associate with their head coach by any stretch of the, of the imagination. But, I mean, the penalties were flying around really sloppy. I I just, I didn't expect that.
1: It's so interesting I, to me, too, that Western Michigan, like, they were penalized and they had some killer penalties, but why does it always seem that the opposing team you know most times is way more disciplined than USC in recent years because what it was like night and day if you're comparing the penalties USC was getting to the ones Western Michigan was getting I don't understand how that happens they have a new head coach right how are new they more per, yeah how are, Why they, are they more they prepared queen of <laughs> exactly it doesn't make sense it makes absolutely no sense yeah and Stanford, with that game coming up, it's not the time to be undisciplined and unprepared and have a lack of physicality and potentially not be able to tackle because if Western Michigan ran all over USC, they're not going to have a chance to tackle Stanford's running backs or to beat them up front. You know, it's going to be a long, long night if they play football like that, and they only have a week to figure it out. Stanford, I know they played Rice, but they traveled to Australia. They traveled to another continent and won 62 7. USC yeah. almost lost in their own stadium.
0: Yeah. We talked a little bit about their defensive line. I didn't know if you had any final thoughts on that in terms of personnel or, you know, even their alignment and how many guys they should have you know you, you, I mean they, they were in so much nickel in this game we were assuming that they would not play that much nickel versus Stanford although I mean a year ago you know when they played Stanford and Utah they it, it still played good amount of nickel
1: despite the fact to. that
0: those teams were running so much and nickel is their base
1: but it seems like it's their base out of necessity at times to me. I understand that in the Pac-12, you're going to face a lot of teams that spread it out, and it's the best defense to play a lot of times, so it makes sense as a base. But when you're playing Stanford and Utah, and they're running it straight at you with double tight sets and with you know fullbacks and all that stuff, and you are playing nickel, you don't have the defensive line that you need to be successful. That's just the end of it. Yeah. They can you know, play the 3-4 or 5-2 or whatever they like to call it. They can play that. I get that nickel's their base, but they know they can scheme that way and they can do it. They don't have the players to do it very well and it's been a problem for a while. I mean, think of last year. Stevie toyko changed everything for them. I mean, this defensive line has been an issue for, it seems like, a decade is now. An issue with seven like years yes it's been an issue forever forever i mean the last time usc had a defensive line that oh, i like loved yeah 2008 are you kidding yeah, me that's almost been ago. 10 years right. what how does that happen that doesn't even make sense it's usc i get that there's not a lot of big time defensive linemen out west and they have to go out and and stuff and get other players but gosh there's some pac-12 teams that you know have Pretty good defensive line play, so it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I feel like it's it's a great mystery as to why USC, you know, can't figure out its defensive line play. I really don't get it. Um, but huge concern, and I feel like you know, I know it's one game, uh, but it feels to me like a loss is coming. And, and I know that, you know, when, when Las Vegas had them, I think, it, you know, their over-under for wins was 10 or 10 and a half. Mm-hmm. That wasn't certain. There were a lot of people on our message board talking about undefeated seasons. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, national title run. This game, I know it's a game, and I know people say, you know, oh, they won, and it's okay, and they'll improve or whatever. But this tells something. This game is very telling, and I know Western Michigan too could be better than people think or expect, but how often does USC struggle to beat a a non-Power 5 conference team? It doesn't happen very often.
0: No.
1: And it doesn't happen very often that USC wins a national title. So it seems to me like those things don't go hand-in-hand very well. (laughs) And I actually looked back uh, at USC's recent struggles against non-Power 5 teams. Since 2000, I left out the Utah Bowl game, the Las Vegas Bowl, because I felt like since that was the end of the year, that didn't really tell us about that team. Okay. We already, we already knew they were 6-6 six and six or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that wasn't telling. So I looked at regular season pretty much. Okay. Since 2000, I counted uh, six games. Wait. Yeah, six games that, where they played non-Power 5 teams. And you could argue that they struggled. 2000 versus San Jose State. They only won by 10. 2001 against San Jose State. They only won by 11. 2003 against BYU. You probably remember that game. They were up, I think, like 17 to nothing oh, early. Yeah. BYU came back, made it close. They they ended up blowing them out, but still there was, at, at a time, I think it was like 21-18, mm-hmm. and it felt like they could lose that game. So I included that game. 2005 Fresno State included that. Two thousand ten Hawaii, they won forty nine to thirty six on the road, and twenty thirteen Hawaii, where they won thirty to thirteen on the road, and early in the game they had so much trouble with their offense, it was apparent something was wrong. So I look at those are the games that remind me of USC Western Michigan. Well three out of six of these games, USC lost the very next game that they played. Really, the very next one, and two of the other six. So now five out of six. Yeah, they lost in the next two games. Only 2010 Hawaii, they didn't lose in the next two games. But that team won eight and five, and five and four in the Pac-12. Yeah, the only teams that seem like the exception to the rule here, 2003 BYU. Two thousand five, yeah. Fresno State. Obviously, they won a title in two thousand three. They played for another one, two thousand five. They won the Pac twelve both years.
0: And that was a really good Fresno State team. Honestly. Yes,
1: that Fresno State team, while they went eight and five at the end, I believe was undefeated when they played USC, and they kind of fell apart after that. And they were ranked when they played USC. They did not seem like your typical, you know, no. non power five team. So my point, looking back at all of this, is that. One out of six of these years, USC won the national title, which seems to be the standard for this season. They've lost a game in all of these seasons, which many people do not think, you know, think that USC should avoid that this year, could very much avoid that. I think that's out the window now. And. You know, five out of six of these seasons, they lost in the next two games, which shows that these struggles against non-power five teams prove that there's an immediate le- an immediate issue. There's something that needs to be fixed because most of these teams lost right away after they showed these signs of of uh, of you know potential chinks in the armor or whatever. And uh, and even the one team that didn't lose right away went eight and five and five and four in the Pac twelve. Huge concerns here. I think that USC fans will should feel very fortunate now if they end up winning the conference and competing to go to the playoffs. I think that the standards need to be changed a little bit. I'm not saying you write off USC. I'm not saying that. It's game one. I get that. But this this narrative of USC is a very you know like a favorite to make the playoffs or a very real contender for a national title needs to change. They did not play that way they should be fortunate in my mind to win the conference now after watching this game and looking back at the recent history when they struggle against non power five teams.
0: What kind of season are you talking? I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I just, I wanna know like where you changed. I, I think you were thinking like nine and three, right? Before this game I was kind of
1: 9-3, 10-2? 10-2. Yeah, I think that because of the schedule, I think that what I've been telling people was that I looked at the roster and I didn't see uh, like a 10-2 USC roster without Sam Darnold. But they have Sam Darnold and the schedule seemed easier. Um, but I look back at, at these past seasons, these six seasons that I mentioned since 2000. 5-7, 6-6, and 12-1, 12-1, 8-5, and 10-4. Six, 9-3 and three now is what I'm thinking. I, I think they lose to Stanford. I think Stanford might beat them up. I think this is a bad matchup for them to be having week two in the season. I don't think they can hang physically with Stanford at this point. If it was week 10, maybe I'd feel different. But I think they're going to lose this game now, and I feel pretty com- comfortable saying that. And honestly, if it was a pick I would bet money on Stanford, and I know they're getting points. Yeah. So, so I like, might go are bet you on be Stanford. <laughs> I might be. I just. I do not think USC will win this game. I just don't see it happening. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not going to go on a rant about it. I just think Stanford's yeah, a better football team. That, I mean, we're
0: not. We're not working for USC. You know, the, the USC PR club. Yeah. That's not what we give you. It's not. What we're about. You guys already know that.
1: Yeah. But, so I. I think Stanford's a better team. So before yeah. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure, and I thought, this is the toss-up game. Maybe they lose to somebody they're not supposed to outside of this game. Yeah. Go 10-2. and two. Okay. Maybe they go 11-1.
0: So, then ask me this. Okay. What, what is the biggest key for USC versus Stanford? Because I don't think you see it as an unwinnable game. You just think that Stanford will win. But yes. for USC to win, what do they need to do?
1: Uh, they need to get more physical quickly, and they need to figure out their receivers uh, because I feel like if their if their receivers can't get separation against Western Michigan, they're not going to get separation against Stanford. And if that doesn't happen, because that has happened in the past, where you know USC's had low defensive games against Stanford, and they didn't you know get big plays out of their receivers, but there was always that threat of they could go deep. You know, it could happen. Stanford better be on their toes. I feel like with this receiving court, they could allow Stanford's defense to kind of tee off and be aggressive and go crazy. And so to me, they better be physical enough to protect against that. And they better figure out how to at least make Stanford feel nervous about them going deep. Because they, they're not going to feel nervous after watching that game. Uh, so to me, that's, that seems like a bad matchup now. I pick a loss there, and, you know, it seems more likely that they could slip up against a Washington State or a UCLA or a Notre Dame, and I, mean, I know Texas lost to Maryland, but I expect them to improve tremendously in the next couple of weeks just because of that. You know, I, nothing seems easy anymore for USC if there's another big name on the other end of the field. I still expect them to blow out an Oregon State. You know a team like that sure right maybe there's a couple other teams in the pac-12 that end up being on that level or as easy for them because that always seems to happen but some of these harder teams you know if there's a couple top 15 teams in the pac-12 they could be in serious trouble and it, it, that doesn't seem uh impossible anymore, very unlikely, Yeah, you know, because yeah. Cal impressed. I know Cal's not going to be a top 15 team, but they impressed. Washington State impressed. A lot of Pac-12 teams kind of impressed, uh, you know, this weekend. I know a lot of them struggled, but yeah. there were some teams. Yeah. That- I don't want
0: to get into all that. I just want to know what your key was to the Stanford game. I was thinking about something, something that we've seen from Arizona State and Todd Graham who – He's been having a rough time for a while now, but at one point was you know, pretty highly respected for that defense. And what did he do? He would just swarm you. He would just bring so much pressure that it would completely eliminate your running game because of the way that he would attack the backfield. And I wondered, could USC try to do that? I don't know. Maybe they can't. I know that that's not who they are. And it, it's very unlikely for them to take on that strategy. But right now, I'm feeling like they're gonna need to do something creative. I don't think they can play Stanford straight up. That's my overarching point.
1: Yeah,
0: I don't. think I that agree. The, the tackling is good enough right now. That they're disciplined enough. That they're just stout enough on the line. I, I don't think that they can do. Like they can just be who they want to be, right? who they were for most of last season when they get beat up on a bunch of spread teams in the Pac-12. I don't think they can play that way.
1: No, I agree with you, but that's what they're set up to do. Because if you think about it, you mentioned the spread teams in the Pac-12 USC's defense is kind of set up to be spread out all over the field and to not really create a lot of pressure on the opposing uh, offense, but to play smart and, you know, try to prevent these big plays and whatever, and, and well, I think you're to right.
0: they're confuse you. That, that's, I think, their main objective. You don't want them to know what they're doing. They like to switch the rotation safeties and disguise their coverages, yeah. and, you know, they, they do a lot of different things with Porter and Uchenna. That's it, fair. It's kind of just... funky with two down linemen, right? I mean, they're trying to get you thinking. But Stanford... Who, The the smartest team in the Pac-12 really doesn't need to think much.
1: No. And the other thing, too, is that they they try to make you think, but they don't try to to make the thinking like a quick decision. Like, I don't see USC as, like, they're sending tons of pressure into the backfield. They're sitting back and letting the play come to them. I think that works – Maybe against seven offenses in the Pac-12, right? Maybe against 10 of 12 offenses in the Pac-12. Maybe it's that many. Because
0: a lot but of it the doesn't... Pac-12 teams are set up like USC where they want to be athletic, right? They want to yeah. use the perimeter in their skill guys, and USC is superior. They overwhelm yeah. you with talent. That's why they won this game versus Western Michigan. So you're right. Stanford is fundamentally so different than that. That... They, I think that USC has to be different here.
1: Yeah, they have to. They have to put pressure on Stanford. They ha- then, I feel like their defense doesn't really do that, and and that's what they have to do to have a chance in this game. They have to make Stanford's quarterback, you know, have quick decisions, and they have to, you know, try to blow up the run, and maybe it costs them a big gashing run player too. But, you know, I think it would benefit them to have a few plays where they stop them in the backfield instead of just waiting for that big offensive line to run them over, you know? Yeah. It needs to be different. That's I completely agree with you on that, and yeah. I'm just not sure we're going to see that.
0: Yeah, I, I think this game will be will come down to u s defense. I think they are the number one X factor in the entire game for both, both teams. It, they are going to win or lose the game. Darnold could throw for 300 yards and three or four touchdowns. It, it, it could be that kind of game. I'm not expecting that kind of game, but it could be 31-28, to 28 and he could have a big game. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to it, – it's not going to be like a Rose Bowl, I'll tell you that. No, and no. it's going to come down to whether USC can get stopped.
1: What do you think is going to happen? Or are you saving that for the Maya 10? Yeah,
0: I, I don't have a prediction yet. It, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And uh, that's just something that I like to, to hold on to for a while. But yeah. you're predicting Stanford then. Do you want to yep. give a score? Do you I give, will. Give me, like, give me like a range even. It doesn't have to be exact. But I'll give
1: you an exact score. I love okay. exact scores. 35 to 17 Stanford.
0: Oh, all right. Comfortable.
1: Wow. comfortable win. Stanford is ready to compete for the conference, and I don't think USC is, and I think they will expose them. I expect USC to get better as the season goes along. I think there's been a few years, right, where where they had that early game, where they kind of got worked, and things like got better later. I just don't think they're ready. I look at USC right now, and I think this is a green team, and they are not ready for this kind of game. I think if Stanford was later, yeah. I think if this was Oregon State right now, if this was Cal right now, I think they could be fine. I think they, they, you know, they could get over the struggles and end up competing for something down the line. But Stanford Week 2 is too early, and they're too ready, and I think USC's going to get exposed.
0: It's a bad game for them in September. Yeah. No question.
1: All right. I think we're good. Yeah. Oh, I love I love when you tell us we're good. <laughs> I love it. A shorter show for us today too. We still went over an hour, I believe. But Adam, not the typical, you know, Godfather trilogy type shows that we have. We'll get there again. We promise, guys. But we do have a little, I guess, Godfather trilogy of podcasts going on right now. I want to tease uh, Murph Baldwin's new podcast, "Schemed to Death." If you have not listened to it. It is incredible. I'm jealous of uh, Murph Baldwin's amazing football analysis and everything he knows. Impressive, impressive stuff. I recommend checking it out. If you listened to his podcast and read his, you know, his, uh, I guess, a preview before the game, he had had an article out kind of previewing what could happen. He actually kind of nailed exactly what Western Michigan could do to USC, and they did it. I mean yeah. he was right on the money and I expect that after he watches this game and after you know he has game film now to review instead of just kind of going into the season blind like the first game does I expect it to get better and better and even be more on point so I really recommend listening to scheme to death and uh, also checking out everything Murph Baldwin does on our site. Uh, we're happy to have him; he's great. And uh, make sure you check it out because yeah. it's really worth listening to and reading.
0: Yeah, you can find that podcast on our channel on Trojan Sports. He's he's good. Uh, what can I say? He's one of the smartest football guys I've come across in media, and I was really impressed with how he broke down Western Michigan, and he he took a look at. You know, the, the different coaches and coordinators and where they were coming from. And he had an idea of what they might try to do. And um, so that's a treat right there for sure. Um, and we're going to have that each week. We're going to have that for the, for the entire year. He's going to be previewing the upcoming opponent. Stanford is a I know that he's studied for years now. So I'm looking forward to that preview as much as anybody.
1: Yeah, so make sure you check it out. And make sure you check out the whole website, too. Uh, oh, my gosh, we have a ton of content right now. Obviously, the season just started. There's a bunch of recruiting stuff up, too. I know you guys are all into recruiting. Really worth signing up. Really worth the 10 bucks a month. I'm not just saying that because I'm a part of it. Uh, I I really, truly believe that this is the best USC website that has ever existed. And ever. It's less than, ever. And it's less than $10 a month. So, usc.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Make sure you get on and check out everything we do because not only is our free podcast great and Murph Baldwin's free podcast is great, but we have a lot of premium content that, you know, if you're not signed up and you're not reading it, you're missing a lot. So get on it. And uh, as always, stay tuned to the show. Uh, We'll be back next week to to talk about Stanford. And, you know, hopefully uh, everybody will be telling me how silly I am and how wrong I was. That's what we're hoping for, but we'll see. So stay tuned
0: you yes. got to mention the message board, too, because it's, it's fun.
1: It's popping. It's <laughs> it, popping it never right ends. now, too. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, I'm up in the middle of the night sometimes. I didn't get back from the Coliseum till late on Saturday night, and I'll check it at random hours, and it's never a dull moment. It's never quiet.
1: No, especially not this time of year, uh, you know, with, with- – the season starting the dead period ending there's a lot going on so yeah check out the message board. check it all out at trojansports.com and i love an extended outro so thank you adam maya for making sure that uh i talked for 10 minutes at the end it was fun you're welcome all right for adam j maya i'm chris swanson we'll see you next time take care i love you that's a scary way to end the show
0: but i do